Hey, let's open our Bibles to Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> if my nose has stopped running, I'll, I'll be doing all right here. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, we've been looking at this uh, series on sound doctrine, you know, that, that uh, Paul told Titus to teach. In verse 1, chapter 2, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. What this word sound means is healthy. Healthy. And uh, that reminds me of a story. Uh, one of my grandkids said to me, uh, I said, well, how about if I make you, because I frequently make them uh, their supper on Sunday evening. <clears throat> so we make, uh, it's like tortillas or something. So how about if I make you tortillas or tia as we call them? And she said, No. I want healthy food like ham. <laughs> I said, okay, I don't think we have any ham. And I'm not sure how healthy that, healthy that is. So, you know, we can eat a lot of ham and stuff like that, but he's talking here about healthy, sound, whole teaching, where you get the message, you get the truth of the Word of God. And it doesn't just stop there. We've been kind of talking about this. It's very practical, though it it kind of is applied to our lives. These words that we read, they've got to apply to our lives. We need to apply them ourselves to our lives. And then he goes on to you know, talk about different age groups. We've been looking at that. We looked at teach the older men. We talked last week about teaching the older women, that it's a very important role. Both the, both the, the older age groups, a very important, very crucial role in... Uh, raising up the next generation. And, uh, but uh, let me just repeat to you about the older women, because today is kind of a continuation in one way of the older women. He, he said that they should be reverent, which means to be set apart for God, yeah, that, that they should not be slanderers, they shouldn't use devil talk, they shouldn't be addicted or enslaved to much wine, they should teach what is good. And then he ends there in the uh, <clears throat> first part of verse 4, where we're going to pick it up. It says, then they can train the younger women so that they would teach the younger. And uh, this quote I found, I read last week, and I'll read it again. It said, years of Bible study and practical experience enable her, that is the older woman, to pass on valuable counsel to those starting out in life. Otherwise... Each new generation is doomed to learn the hard way, repeating the mistakes of the past. You know, I, I, I wish I had someone young, uh, older who could have helped me along the path. I kind of, you know, had to make my own way. There just wasn't anybody around. And, and, but God is faithful. His, his uh, hand was upon me to, to help me. But, you know, later in life, though, I had different people who were there for me, people like uh, Bill Kinneman and and others who are older and, and helped me and mentored me and encouraged me along the way. So he says to, to the women, to the older women here in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, he says uh, that they would teach the younger. Now, does that mean Titus didn't have anything to do with it? No, of course not. The, the, he was the pastor there, he was the teacher there, he was to teach and he was to teach the word. 
and, and that, but, but what we're talking about here is more of a, a, a personal kind of relationship, a personal thing where, where the, you know, Titus wasn't to find all the younger women and say, well, I'm going to teach you now. I, I remember we, we uh, uh, candidated for a church, this is way, way back, uh, when I didn't really even know what that meant, uh, in a church in Maine, but we heard, as we got there, we heard that the, the previous pastor, uh, you know, decided that he was going to, you know, disciple the younger women in the church. And like, are you kidding me? And they got rid of him. I, I'm not sure why. So, really, the big responsibility, I can teach the Word, but the big responsibility, the the stronger responsibility is for the older women to teach the younger women. Amen. It's just right. It's just the way God has set this up. Now, in speaking about the younger and the older, and the younger women, and then next week the younger men, you know, this is, this is something we've been talking about for a long time. I was really impressed uh, by how many younger folks we have in this fellowship. But you really are the future. You younger people, you are the future. You're the future of this church. You're the future of society. You're the future of, of the home. So what I want to say to you, younger women and younger men, is you need to learn. You need to be teachable. I've been saying that. That's true for every one of us. We need to be teachable. And the truth is, so many times we are not teachable. I know in my own life, I know when I'm not being teachable. I'm thinking... Yeah, keep talking because I already know all that. Keep saying whatever you want to say. You nod your head, but you're saying, you know what? Who does he think he's talking to? I know. I, you know, I, I got this down. If you find yourself saying that to yourself right now, there's a problem. <laughs> it's an it's a indication of the fact that, you know, you think you know it, that I think I know it, and we're not really being teachable. What would God want to teach? The truth is we don't know it all. We think we do. I know it all. The truth is, the truth is, the older we get, I think, the more we realize how little we know. But when we're young, we think, man, I've, man I went to eighth grade. Like, I know a lot. I know most everything. I can pretty much teach the pastor what, you know, how he should be doing that thing. Or something like that. This one commentator said this, any wise young person will cultivate the friendship of older godly Christians and solicit their advice and correction. If you're really wise, you'll be looking for people who you can ask for help. Hey, I'm, I'm trying to work through this. I'm trying to understand this, and I really need some help. You, you've been around a while. You've been a Christian for, you know, way longer than me. Can you give me some help? Can you give me some advice? It works. Let me tell you, it works. And it's true, and it's the way God has set this thing up, that we would look to those that have been around for a while. So let's look at uh, the verses for today Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then they, that is the older women, can train the younger women. And then he gives a, a list here. To love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands 
so that no one will malign the Word of God. Well, that's a lot in there, huh? As you read those verses along with me, do you, do you notice where the focus is? Where? In the home. Oh, yeah, it's, it's on, on the screen. You could have figured that out, right? <laughs> Hello. See, if I put little things up there, then you kind of know, you know, where I'm trying to go with this thing. The home is the major building block of society. The home is the major building block of the church. The home is what, how God has set this up. The first institution, if I can use that word, some of you who are married are going to say, yeah, it feels like an institution. The first institution that God created in Genesis chapter 2 is what? Marriage and leading to family, the home. That's what God, how God set it up. That's where he began. That's why when we start in our social engineering to tinker with that and change it all around and say, well, you know, we're only heading for trouble. We're heading for big trouble. But speaking here now, he says that the older women would train the younger women, and the first thing uh, he, he talks about is the home, and the, the whole picture is about the home. This verse I've heard quoted many times, Proverbs chapter 14 on the screen, it says this, the wise woman builds her house or her home, but with her own hands, the foolish one, what? Tears hers down. Wisdom and folly. Wisdom is say, I need to build up this house. I need, to, I need to work here. I need to put something into this. Folly says, you know what? I don't really care. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to tear this thing down. The wise woman. What, do you want to be wiser? Do you want to be foolish? I mean, that's, that's not a very uh, fair question, and I understand that. So let's look at some of these things here, because I found some interesting things that I hope you find interesting. You know, I read these things, and I study, and I try to understand what uh, is, is being taught here and bring out something that it might be interesting to you. And, and so the, the first thing that he talks about here is he says that they would train the younger women, what? To love. To love. To love their husbands and children. The hallmark of a Christian home has got to be love. The hallmark of a church should be love. People should be able to come into a church and, and say, you know what, there's something there, and I, it, feels like, it feels like there's love there. Now, if you go into a church and you find that everybody's angry at each other and there's not much love there, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to say, wow, what a good witness. The, the Word of God is certainly maligned there because Jesus, Jesus said, you know, they'll know you're a Christian's what? By your love, one for another. So even, even within the church, it's an, it's an important thing. It's, and, and in the home, it's a very crucial thing. Now, I, I, when I read this, I said to myself, I talk to myself quite frequently, I said, but don't the wives already love? Now, husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 are told what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So the husbands are specifically told to love their wives. And now here, it's interesting, it says that the younger women are to be taught to love their husbands and their children. 
I, and I had to think about that because, because I've, I, I believe, I believe that, that women have this thing already. But as I, as I dug into it a little bit more, uh, there are two different Greek words. And I'm not a Greek scholar, I don't pretend to be, but this is a simple understanding. There's two Greek words here. One is agape, right? There, there are other words for love too, but the two main ones that we're talking about today are agape, which is unselfish love. And the other one is phileo, which is, is more like a like. It's a friend, friendship kind of love. It's a, a to be fond of, to have affection for. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's telling uh, the people to, telling the husbands to agape, to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and I totally get that because men... We are some of the most selfish creatures on the planet. I don't see any men going. I see, I see the women going. Yeah. But what I have seen by experience is that women are very unselfish. I see it's like it's almost natural. They're unselfish. They have this agape thing. That's why in Ephesians 5, he doesn't tell them that there. He talks about submission there, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So my observation is this, that the, that the wives are already unselfish. They have this agape love. The, the husbands are selfish, and they need to get unselfish and love and agape type love. So here in Titus, he's talking about this phileo kind of love. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Why do I say that? Can you be very unselfish and yet not be friendly? I'm, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. But I don't like you. Why are you laughing? You know... Somebody said that this word, it emphasizes the strength of companionship, of pulling together kindness and mutual friendship. Kindness, companionship, and friendship. So there can be this unselfish, uh, you know, sacrificing yourself for the, for the family, for the husband, for the children, but yet there's, there isn't this friendship, there isn't this companionship that's happening. And sometimes we can even become martyrs, Right? You don't know what I've given up for this family. Somebody else said this, friendly companionship in which you do things together. He said most homes could use a lot of this teaching. And again, you know, I've been married a long time and I know kind of a little bit about, I know a lot about the uns being selfish. I know about that part. But I also know a little bit about how things can go in the family too. Where, where, where you have this thing where you can live together, you can do things together, you don't have these separate lives. I see that happening so often where you've got these separate lives and, 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 and he's saying here, there's something we need to do. You need to love your husbands and your wives, I mean, your children, and have this, this kindness, this companionship, this friendship happening within the home. You say, well, I don't quite get that. I think it's something we need to learn. We need to look at. Well, yeah, 
are, you know, are, am I doing everything I can do to, to, to sacrifice for this family? Yes, but are, are we also trying to be friendly? Trying to just be nice to each other? Trying to get along and trying to, trying to pull together like this one said? Why is it so quiet in here? Marriage, marriage is not easy. I, I, I was thinking maybe we should do a little series on marriage here, uh, you know, when we get to the end of the book of Titus, uh, because it's so important. Husbands, love your wives. Agape your wives. Unselfish love like Christ loved the church. Wives, phileo your husbands and your children. Do, do things together. Bring this friendship, this companionship in, into the marriage. You think about that. Let's move on, shall we? What's the next thing he has here? Self-control. Self-control. Now, when you look at this, this is said to all four categories, by the way. This is not just for the younger women, but it is for every group. It's for the older uh, men, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. In fact, it's the only thing he lists specifically for the younger men. That's interesting. We'll talk about that next week. So this idea of being self-controlled is something that we need to learn. We're not born with self-control. I mean, remember back when you were born. How much control did you have over yourself? All you did was cry and whine. You know, we have a two-year-old grandchild, and I'm telling you, we were babysitting her for like two hours yesterday, and I said, I couldn't believe this. She is like so demanding. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? If, she, if it wasn't exactly what she wanted, when she wanted, it's like, ah! There was like, there's no self-control happening here. And so I had to have self-control. <laughs> or the opposite would happen. We, be, we get out of control, right? We all, no matter how old we are, we've got to learn to control ourselves. It doesn't just happen naturally. We need to do something about it says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So as we, as we yield ourselves to the working of God in our lives, to His Holy Spirit, He works these things, that, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and self-control. It's a spiritual thing that's got to happen in our lives. Again, are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in our life, our spiritual life? Is it, is it something that we're, we're becoming more, the Bible talks about, becoming more like Jesus? Jesus had complete, utter self-control. He was tempted, the Bible says, as we are, but was without sin. He had perfect, complete self-control. The next thing is what? Is pure, purity, in a world that is completely what? Unpure, right? Do we live in a pure world? Man, I mean, you just have to watch TV, and, you know, and, and the, 
the language that's being used now and, and all the things that are, uh, you know, on just regular TV, and I'm not even talking about, you know, the special channels and all that stuff. Is he talking only to the younger women here? No, I don't think so. He points it out to them, and, and you think, well, it's, it's, it's mostly the, the men that have to get, you know, their purity. Well, it's not. It's men and women that we need to ask ourselves, you know, what kind of purity? And, and Warren Mearsby calls it this. He calls it purity of mind and heart. Of mind and heart. I had that backwards. Mind and heart. Purity of mind and heart. That's what God wants us to be, have purity in our lives. We have to be taught, he says, train them, teach. What is in accord with sound doctrine, that that you and I would be pure in an impure world. There's a woman, uh, her name is Elizabeth Elliot. Any of you heard of her? She wrote probably one of the best books uh, about dating and that. It's called Passion and Purity. Any of you ever read that? I read it many years ago. But I recommend it. I think it's just as powerful today. And uh, uh, I read something about this. It says that she, uh, she candidly shares her love story with Jim Elliott through letters, diary entries, and memories. She is honest about the temptations, the difficulties, the victories, and the sacrifices of, of two young people whose commitment to Christ took priority over their love for each other. She says, it says about the book, says only by putting their human passion and desire through his fire can God purify their love. Says in a culture obsessed with dating, sex, and intimacy, the need for Elliot's freeing message is greater than ever. The need for purity today is greater than ever. If you're young and, and you're, you're heading into these years, you need to read this book. Young men and young women. Older, if you're, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, but, but read this book. I highly recommend it. You can still get it. Purity of heart and mind. How do we do that? Well, you know what the uh, computer geeks say. G-I-G-O. Right? You know what that means? Garbage in, garbage out. You want a pure mind. If you fill your mind and your heart with garbage, guess what you're going to be full of? If, if the stuff that we're reading, the stuff that we're watching, the stuff that we are involved in, the places we're going, it's full of garbage, guess what's going to get inside of us? Garbage. And guess what's going to come out? Garbage. Going to be no purity if we, don't, if we don't stem the garbage that comes in. And we have to do that. We have to do that. And, and uh, you know... Uh, I've read some statistics about pornography that it, that it is, a, is rampant in our society today. It's rampant. And the statistics of how, how many people in the church it is affecting is staggering. That it, even in a church this size, the, a room of people this size, the, the number of people that are addicted or, 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 or you know, affected by pornography 
men and women. You've got you to gotta get some help. We all need help, and we need to take steps. We need to do what we do. I, honestly, I will not have a computer without some kind of protection on it because I am vulnerable. I, I won't have a computer. I'll turn it off. I'll, I'll get rid of it. I'll put it away if there's not some kind of protection. But I've noticed this. Even with protection, stuff still slips in. Like, you know, they slip it in different ways, right? Because the, the idea is to get you to get your soul, to get your mind to control you. There's no purity in that. God wants us to be pure. We need to take the steps we need to take. We need accountability. We need to work with one another, men with men, women with women, to work at finding the purity that that God would have in our lives. What's next? Some of you are very uncomfortable, so I'm going to move on, but let it be a lesson for each one of us. The next thing he says is to be busy at home. Now, this has created some controversy through the years, right? Because some of the versions say keepers at home, and they translate that mean to be kept at home, like it's a prison, like you're locked into that prison. Well, you know, the controversy through the years, you know, there's the, the hard line is this, that there, no women should be outside the home, period, right? That's the hard line on this side. And on the other side is that uh, no women should ever be at home, right? So what is it? What should it be? Well, we need a balance, Right? We can't be locked inside the home. And I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. The, but, but let me just say this. The, reality, the realities of the, the day that we live in is that we need to do whatever we need to do, right? If we both need to work, we both need to work. We need to do what we need to do. But I, but I believe personally that the early years of the, the children's lives are very, very important. Now, lit- literally, though, this word... <clears throat> Uh, means uh, a guard of the home. That's what the word literally means. The word means home, house, and guard. And you put these two words together, and that's what the word they've translated, busy at home. But it literally means to be a guard, to be a keeper of, of home, of the home. That's pretty, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? But it's also, it, it's a an opportunity. It's a responsibility. And, and the, the younger women needed to be taught by the older women that it's, it's important how you handle, how you treat, how you work in this thing called the, the home and the family is, is a very high calling. And I want to say this, it's not, it's not about cleaning the house. And I personally feel that husbands should be helping Clean the house. Husbands are going like this. Wives are going like this. Who said that husbands could not help with the duties around the house? Okay, you take the trash out. Oh, congratulations. Wow. 
What do you want, a medal? <laughs> Especially when the situation is that, you know, that uh, the wife is working and it's just, again, the reality that, that, that we need to both work and pitch in to make this thing happen or, you know, to keep our home or whatever it is. Why can't us husbands pitch in and do something? I'm not going to tell you what my job is. You'll laugh at me. I'm not telling. No. There are some things she doesn't let me do. In laundry? Sure, I can do that. You just take the big pile and just throw it in there. And throw some soap in there and you just... Pretty, pretty much... Man, this stuff's all looking kind of funny colored, but I don't care. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the, the tone. And one person said this, that the woman sets the tone of the home. She's kind of looking at, well, how are things going here? And is there, is there like you said earlier, this companionship, this friendship where we're doing stuff together, where there's a, a happiness that's happening within the home? Warren Wearsby said, it does not suggest that her home is a prison where she must be kept. He said, caring for the home is the idea. Don't look at it as a, a bad thing. That's what the world says. You know, you, you don't need to listen to that. You don't need to even think about that. You just do what you want to do, where you want to do it. And you're missing out on this huge opportunity that, that God has for you to put together and to, to, to care for how this home kind of works out, how it works together. How about the next one? To be kind. What, you know, what more can you say to that? Just, we need to learn how to be nice to each other. Have you ever not been nice to each other in the home? Any of you? You know, these people get up there and say, you know, my wife and I, we have never had an argument. We have never said anything mean to each other in all our three days of marriage, is what they should say. Because that's what happens, right? But it's not real. Because if you didn't say it, you thought it. And Jesus said, if you're thinking it, it's almost as bad as saying it. Well, he didn't exactly say that, but he said something like that. Here's another one that, uh, you know, to be subject to their husbands. Now, I, this is probably better taught by the older women than by me. Because I'm a man. And, and the first thing you think of is submission. The first thing you think of, no. That's... You know, I'm not going there. But the Bible, this is God's plan and structure, and we need to understand it, and we talk about this in our premarital, postmarital counseling. You know, God has a, a, a plan and structure for the family. Yet, in the bigger context, there's always room and there's a place, and it always is there that there's a mutual submission as well. But in the end, somebody's got to make the call. You work at a company, a company, the boss has got to make the final call, right? Somebody's got to decide if everybody, you know, you keep going with everybody's decision, 
what will happen? You're going to have chaos in the end. And again, better that the older women would teach you this, and I think they've learned, I think you learn this uh, through experience and through uh, submission to the Lord first. And that's the context of that passage in Ephesians 5. The, the context is submitting yourself to Jesus first. I have to say this, though. This whole thing puts a very serious responsibility on the husband. If, if the Bible says for the wives to submit and, and to be subject to their husbands, well, the husband better be someone that can be submitted to in a good way. It's a big responsibility. And husbands, we will be held accountable for how we did our jobs, our parts. The last part there is, is uh, the last part of that verse, which we're going to wrap this up because I know I've, I've uh, ruffled one or two feathers here today. <clears throat> he said, so that no one will malign the Word of God. You know, the witness of the Bible, the, the witness of the Bible itself is at stake by how you and I live, by what we learn, by how we have been affected by the Word of God. And, and people are watching. People are watching you. I remember, and I've probably told this story a hundred times, if not twice, uh, I worked with a guy at a factory, and, and uh, you know, he said, he said to me, yeah, uh, that guy, I was with these guys, you know, I was at a party the other night, and he was not a Christian, this friend of mine at this company. He says, I was at, you know, I was at this party, and, uh, you know, there's a guy there saying he was a Christian and everything, and he's smoking pot with everybody else, and he said, you know what? I'm not buying it. People are watching. They look at our lives. If our mouths are full of garbage and we're spewing out swear words all day long, they're saying something is not adding up here. If, we're, if we have huge problems with all the different things that the world is trying to foist onto us today, people are going to look at you and say, you know what? Bible, uh-huh. They're going to look at me and say, yeah, Look at, the, look at the pastor here. He's, he's, at, he's at the bar again. Look at the pastor. He's going like 75 down our 25-mile-an-hour street. I had a chance to buy a Corvette a few weeks back. <laughs> Serious, it was cheap money. You know, I was talking about temptation. But, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? I'd probably kill somebody. I'd probably kill myself. The temptation of that, that power behind the, you know, the foot, the right foot. People are watching. We can talk about the Bible a lot, but people know. And this is the statement I want to finish with, that you and I, we are the only Bible that some people will ever read. They want to know what the Bible's about, but they want to know what it's about by looking at you, by looking at me. Right? All right, let's turn one more thing. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 31 because I would be remiss if we didn't at least look at this. 
because it embodies a lot of what I've been trying to get across today. Proverbs 31, uh, about the middle of your Bible, a whole section, and we're not going to do commentary, but we're just going to read it. But I want you to notice how busy this woman is. I want you to know how active uh, she is. I want, to know, I want you to see how productive she is. Women aren't to just sit at home and, and not do anything. So starting in verse 10, it says, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. And out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's making money, right? Nothing wrong with that. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. There's ministry. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. But there's some happiness, there's some joy there. She speaks with wisdom. And faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. That's what Paul was telling Titus to teach. The younger women should teach, be taught by the older women. And does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. When was the last time we praised our wives, husbands? Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Wow, that's all I can say. These things can be and they need to be taught. We need to learn. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we do pray that it would get into our hearts, that it would get into our minds, that it would change us from the inside out. Maybe there's some areas that we heard about today that we're like struggling with or that we need help or we need to learn and grow in. I pray you'd, you'd pinpoint those and I pray that we could find help. First of all, from you and then from others, perhaps those that are older than us. Not that we can't learn from those younger as well but we'd be teachable, willing to learn. I pray for the young women in this church today, Lord, that you would help each one to to see the things that you're calling them to do and, and to be. And help them, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual thing. 
I pray that each one of us would, would be faithful to the call that you have for our lives to follow you, to follow you each and every day. I pray finally too, Lord, for those that don't know you, that, that don't have a clue what we're even talking about here, is that, that you need Jesus in your life and you can simply ask him to come in and he will come in as you open your heart to him and say, Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart. Forgive me and save me, I'm lost. I need you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.